while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. But he will be back tomorrow. We'll be back for Friday night, uh, we're, and we're going to have we're going to have Chris Hendricks on with us, the um, state rep uh, from New Bedford. Chris Hendricks, he's going to come on. He's on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Senate, uh, the House Judiciary Committee in the State House, and he wants to talk about the dangerousness bill. Now, Chris and I talked about that a lot yesterday. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, it was brought up in the district uh, attorney's debate that happened on Tuesday between Shannon McMahon and Tom Quinn and uh, D.A. Tom Quinn. And essentially, the, a dangerousness hearing is, um, you know, the D.A. can ask for a, da- uh, a dangerousness hearing. You can be held up to... If you're found to be dangerous, you can be held up to 120 days in district court, 180 days in um, superior, I believe, and without bail, uh, without bail. So uh, there's a bill that Charlie Baker wants to that Charlie Baker has been pushing for for a couple of years now, really, that wants to expand the that wants to expand the application of uh, or expand the crimes that can be request that they can use to request uh, a dangerousness hearing um, which would be a hearing in front of a judge to determine if that person is a danger and if they are you they can be held there's uh, alternatives too they can have an ankle monitor or you know regular check-ins probation something like that but chris will be chris mccarthy will be in tomorrow uh, with chris Hendricks to talk uh, talk more uh, at length about it chris Hendricks is opposed to the bill um their da quinn supports it um, I know other people. A lot of people do support it. A lot of the uh, senators, um, the se- the Senate by and large, supported it as well. Uh, but the House, um, the House has, I think, summarily rebuffed it. But uh, Chris will be in to talk about that at eight o'clock tomorrow. Tonight we've got a pretty good show ahead for you. I think it's every night's a pretty good show. But tonight we've got a pretty good show ahead for you at. 8.30, so, you know, you heard the news segment, if you're listening to the news segment that Phil Devitt did, you you heard the news segment, we uh, had Mayor Mitchell on yesterday, Mayor Mitchell talked, we talked about a few things, it's a good interview, you should check it out um, on our podcast uh, platform, so anywhere where podcasts are offered, or you can just go directly to the WBSM website, and go to the on-demand feature, and go to South Coast Tonight and find it, but I also wrote a column encapsulating one part of the conversation that we had with Mayor Mitchell, which was... The vote tonight in the City Council Finance Committee to approve an $11 million capital improvement loan. Now, this shouldn't be even something that's controversial or talked about, frankly, but 
the long and short of it is uh, the city council inexplicably, inexplicably, inexplicably sent it back to com- the finance committee after it cleared finance committee like one week earlier and pushed back a bunch of projects, including getting tasers for police, uh, the <clears throat> New Bedford police, uh, getting uh, fire, uh, fire equipment for the fire department, upgrades to municipal buildings, upgrades to roads and bridges, and uh, things like um, making the bathrooms at Buttonwood Park handy, uh, ADA accessible, right? So... It's up for it's it's on the it's in the agenda. To, it said that they, they said they needed more discussion. Now, Mayor Mitchell had explained the problem with kicking it is one, you're delaying the projects at least another month or so, and two, you can't get the loan to market if the city council can't approve it. And since the interest rates are rising, and guess what, they did since the last city council meeting. It's actually going to cost the taxpayers more money. Now there were some were con- some concerns voiced by by members of the council saying, "Oh, well, what if we're overextending ourselves or whatever?" But it doesn't that position uh, doesn't really mesh with like the reality, frankly, because. Um, New Bedford borrows at a significantly lower rate than other cities do. Every city in town has a capital improvement plan, by the way. Every single one has a capital improvement plan. It's a sustainable way to make improvements to your public infrastructure. Um, And there are, like, many rules and regulations that um, are codified that would uh, basically make an overextension of oneself to the capital improvement plan. Uh, virtually impossible. Brad Markey had actually explained that last time he was on. He's actually going to come on at 8.30 tonight or around 8.30, depending on what time the meeting gets out. It might be a little bit later. He's going to come on to talk about, uh, to you know, we're going to find out if it passed, and we're going to hear his reaction to it. He's the chair of the City Council Committee on Finance. And I know he kicked it back last time, but I think it was because he didn't expect the vote to be so contentious and what he didn't want was an outright denial of the capital improvement plan and starting from square one so he, he voted to go along with with the co- with the committee vote um it is wildly irresponsible <laughs> frankly uh governance um it's wildly irresponsible governance to to even consider doing this to not to to even consider putting off the project even another month but we'll see we'll see what happens um you know i i joked in that interview with mayor mitchell uh per you know because linda morad led the charge basically to get the um cip delayed and she knows better because she's a banker so she knows that the interest rates go go up and that'll it'll affect the borrowing rate and it'll cost the taxpayers more. Um, so I asked Mitchell, maybe it was his fault for winning the 2011 election. Uh, but we'll see what happens tonight. Um, I think it'll pass, but we'll hear from Brad Mark. He will get his reactions from that. And we'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. At 9 o'clock, we're going to have uh, attorney Shanless Reardon. Uh, she is a very successful class action labor attorney. She's running, she's one of the three candidates running in the attorney general's race. So the attorney general's race, if you're not familiar, 
you will be familiar if you listen to South Coast tonight because we're going to have all three candidates in the Democratic primary on before primary day on September 6th. And we'll be doing live coverage, by the way, on September 6th for the Democratic primary. So you'll be able to uh, listen. We'll give uh, results live on the air. You'll be able to call in and talk about it, right? We're going to hopefully get some candidates that have won or even lost their elections that will call in and live react to that. So that'll be really exciting on September 6th. You should definitely stay tuned for that. We also got a debate coming up for the Democratic candidates for sheriff. So a lot going on uh, here on South Coast tonight. But uh, if you're not familiar with that race, I'll go over it now. And I'm going to get into the Trump Mar-a-Lago stuff. I know there's more updates. You know, we don't like to do too much national stuff, but this is such a big story. And there's a lot to go over. And there was more updates since, uh, I think, since Barry went off air, right? And you might have heard Howie Carr talk about it. I don't know. I was very busy today, so I um, I couldn't hear much of it. Maybe I'm sure Howie Carr talked about it a bit, but... We'll we'll go over that as well. We'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on the program. Uh, but um, just to go over the DA's race, you have um, Shannon Lisford, and she's going to be in. She's going to be in at nine o'clock tonight. She's doing an event in New Bedford, so she's she's coming by in studio. If you're doing an event in New Bedford and you're in the you know you're around, you get you get to stop by. You got to stop by South Coast tonight if you're a candidate. And they have been. We've had Anthony Mori, Diana DeZaglio, Shannon Rudin's coming on. We've got other candidates scheduled throughout the month as well. But so Shannon Rudin's coming on. Um, and we're uh, we're going to just talk about her campaign. She is a again a well um, well established, very accomplished labor attorney. She's putting a great deal of personal finance, a couple million in personal finances, into into this into her campaign so she's invested she wants to win she ran for senate in the marquee the marquee kennedy primary she ran for senate uh in that primary very briefly uh before uh she signed the people's pledge with joe kennedy and then after she backed out of the race she i believe then supported ed markey but um She's one of the candidates. We also have Quentin Palfrey. Quentin Palfrey is an Obama lawyer. He worked for the White House. He worked for uh, the Attorney General's office previously, the State Attorney General's office under Mar- Martha Coakley. She's talking. She uh, he talked about when he was on with me a few months ago how he worked with uh, Maura Healy uh, when she was head of the Civil Rights Division. He was head of the um, the Healthcare Division. And uh, he won the endorsement of the convention, actually, Quentin Palfrey. He got the endorsement of the convention uh, in in June. So and I think that was a bit of a surprise that he did. Um, but he got the endorsement of the convention. I think that really tightened the race up a bit. And then um, Andrea Campbell is a Boston City Councilor. Uh, she's the former Boston City Council president, actually. She ran for mayor of Boston in... Well, last year she ran for mayor of Boston. She actually got the endorsement of the Boston Globe uh, in that race. Uh, she came up short uh, to uh, Michelle Wu. Uh, I can't. She was top three. I can't remember if she. I can't remember if she edged up Kim Janey or not. But she was top three in that race. But you know, ultimately Michelle Wu kind of ran away with it. Um, but Andrea Campbell is the third candidate in the Democratic primary. Uh, she is a former she's a she's a former um 
council under Governor Deval Patrick as well. She's got a ton of endorsements. Uh, she's got a, a ton of endorsements. She's got Ed Markey. I believe she's got Elizabeth Warren as well. Uh, lots of reps, lots of local elected officials too. Uh, Joe, I actually covered uh, a couple months ago. Joe Kennedy uh, came down to Fall River uh, in his old district at the Portugalia Market to endorse her. So that's a pretty competitive race. On all of those races, they're all very competitive on the Democratic side, except for, of course, Maury Healy. They're all very competitive on the Democratic side. And um, we're going to, again, we're going to have all, all three of those candidates. Jay McMahon's on the Republican side. He ran against Moore Healy last time. Do respect to Jay McMahon, but whoever wins the Democratic primary is going to win this race. Uh, so that's the one to keep an eye uh, in the, for the for attorney general, at least. Again, I have talked about it before. I think state auditors, a much different story, but for attorney general, uh, for governor, and then by extension, lieutenant governor, the winner of the Democratic primary is going to is going to win that race. So, and secretary of state, too. The winner of that primary is going to win that race, too. Um, I think it, you could see for the first time in, I guess, 10 or so years, a straight... Uh, you know, a straight Democratic ticket uh, elected for the statewide offices. I'm not sure. I think you could. Um, again, I've talked about Anthony Moore. He's been in. I talked about how good of a candidate he is for the state auditor position, the Republican who got endorsed by Charlie Baker. So we'll see. But Shannon Lewis-Wordon will be in at nine o'clock. Uh, I'm going to ask her about, uh, you know, why she's running. Who she, you know, she can introduce herself uh, to the audience. I appreciate that she um, that she came by and she wants to talk to you guys. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program and talk to me uh, if you'd like. And remember, we've got in a couple weeks, we've got the, uh, the primary date uh, primary debate for the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. Um, so there's three Democratic candidates, Paul Haru, Nick Bernier, and uh, Attleboro Mayor Paul Haru, returning Nick Bernier, former Somerset Police Chief George McNeil. The three of them are running uh, to challenge Hodgson in the, uh, to challenge Hodgson in the, Sheriff Hodgson in the, in the, uh, in the fall. By the way, uh, when I was at the feast over the weekend, I was astonished. Well, I wasn't, I guess, astonished, but it was pretty interesting how many people came up to me to talk to me about the uh, the time when we had the sheriff on to talk about the lawsuit and the calls he took. And one of the calls was the plaintiffs. So people were coming up to me and either saying, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> sheriff Hodgson came up to me and said, hey, that was fun. <laughs> and uh, or... You know, some people came up and said, oh, I heard it was crazy. I didn't get a chance to listen. And I say, hey, that's good. You can listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast on WBSM.com. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you, wherever podcasts are offered, you can listen uh, again to that interview. I, I actually listened to it uh, the other day. I listened to it again the other day because... It was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun radio. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get on the program. Again, we've got Brad Markey, Shannonless Rodin tonight. Uh, we're going to be taking your calls on a variety of topics. When we get back, I do want to talk about the new developments in the Trump, uh, the FBI search of Trump's uh, Florida residence, uh, Mar-a-Lago. I think there's been some fairly new developments uh, and. 
we've actually been promised there'll be even newer developments. So uh, it's good that we've got something to talk about with this now, and we will when we get back from the break. So stay tuned. This is South Coast Night with uh, with Marcus. Chris is out for the night. 1420 WBS. South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris has got the night off. He'll be back tomorrow. BC Boy sabotage because I don't know. That's what Trump's saying is happening. But we got some new developments on that. And uh, when was Mar-a-Lago raided? Was it on Monday? Yeah, it was raided on Monday. So Mar-a-Lago was raided. Uh, on Monday by the FBI after a lawfully authorized search warrant, at least, you know, uh, duly authorized search warrant. We'll see, you know, they. so basically how search warrants work, um, you put together a warrant affidavit, in this case, a you know, a federal agent would put together a warrant affidavit to present to a federal judge magistrate. And that would have to say that there's, you know, it would have to demonstrate uh, probable cause that a crime has been committed and that evidence of the crime is where they want to be searched, where they want to search. They have probable cause to believe that evidence is where they want to be searched. They have to be specific about what they're looking for. They have to ask to search and, you know, they have to ask to search anywhere where that document, where that specific thing can be found. And we found out that the warrant, well, at least that's what's been reported. The warrant gave broad authority to search wherever they believe uh, documents could be hidden. So that could literally be anywhere in the house because they're documents, they're, they're sheets of paper. So that could be anywhere in the house. We learned that Merrick Garland uh, personally authorized the um, the the warrant affidavit, which means he approved the 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 FBI went to Merrick Garland. They went straight to the top. Of course, you, you know, the FBI is under the DOJ. The uh, the DOJ is run by the attorney general. In this case, the attorney general is Merrick Garland. And so the FBI went to Merrick Garland with um, with the search warrant and he authorized them to go uh, file that in the um, in the Southern District of Florida because you got to do it in the relevant jurisdiction in the Southern District of Florida uh, in front of a federal judge magistrate to uh, execute that um, to uh, to ask ask for that search warrant. So Merrick Garland spoke before the media today. He said basically that the DOJ speaks through its actions. Um, and through the courts. So what he's trying to say is they don't want to expand on it. He doesn't want to, I guess, pontificate or really speak on any matter 
beyond that they're doing and you know they're in the middle of a investigation now he had to have known that this was going to be a big deal that trump himself was going to make a big deal of it because it is a big deal um but he said basically that they have uh they seem to have some confidence in it because they said they have in their they seem to have confidence in their and like it's like you better have confidence with something like this because i know what you know there's there's a i know there's a reasoning that like well just because he was the former president doesn't mean he's above the law and if he broke the law then you know if they have probable cause that he broke the law and a search warrant is needed to either prove that or you know retain the things that he may have stolen then that is you know you know that is what should be done because that's the law i get all that but there's a practical reality to the political implications of what the fbi just did right and they have to and what merrick garland just did and they have to consider it right they have to consider the political implications of searching the home of a former president it has never been done before so you know basically what merrick garland said today was they're going to speak through the courts they're going to speak through their investigatory process they're not going to make any other they're not going to make any statements beyond that scope and you know that his uh, you know the rest of his it was a three-minute speech he kept it very concise and what he said was he didn't take any questions either and what he said was um they've asked for they the doj has petitioned the uh southern the court the uh, federal court in the southern district of florida to unseal the warrant affidavit and the receipt so i've you know explained to you the warrant affidavit is what the um you know the explanation to the judge of you know what they're looking for why they think it's there why they have probable cause to think it's there the receipt is all of the things that they've taken that have to be turned you know the and it's not it doesn't have to be that specific but the receipt is the thing that they they the, the things that they took in the um, in the search of the premises. So they seem to have confidence in what they're doing because they want that to be released to the public. Now, what's interesting is Trump's lawyers have a copy of that. Of course, Trump has a right to it, right? He has a right to the Warren affidavit. And even in district court, when you know you're practicing criminal law in like district court or any court in the really any court in the country, you as a defense attorney or as a defendant have a right to that warrant affidavit. And in fact, you got to pull the warrant affidavit if you've got a search warrant case. You got to read it to make sure, and I'm sure his lawyers have done that. You've got to read it to make sure that everything that they've used to come to the conclusion of probable cause has been um, properly, you know, basically that's properly executed, right? That they didn't violate any procedural uh any procedural um laws in the execution of that uh, of that warrant or in the compiling of that warrant affidavit in the getting the evidence for the warrant affidavit and that there is in fact the warrant affidavit does in fact uh contain what you know would be probable cause so they have a copy of that and they have a copy of the war the receipt 
the receipt that the FBI gave to Trump's lawyers after they searched the premises. So they have a copy, a copy of two of those things. Now they won't, they can release it, right? They can, they can release it. It's on them, but they won't, they're not going to release it. So the, so the DOJ is asking to, and they, they, you know, Merrick Garland gave several reasons uh, for that. And of course, I think the overriding reason is the public interest, you know, typically a lot of criminal proceedings, even, or criminal document or documents related to criminal proceedings are kept under seal for reasons of confidentiality and all of that and protecting the individual's rights. But if there's an overriding public interest, which clearly there is now, uh, considering it's a former president's home, uh, uh, considering it's a former president's home and this, this apparently, you know, these documents are so highly sensitive that they had to use this search warrant to get them. Um, you're not going to see probably, there's probably going to be some redactions. There's probably going to be some redactions Based on, you know, the doc, if these documents are that sensitive, there's going to be some redactions on like what's in the war, you know, what the, exactly they're looking for. You might not see that, right? You might see, you, you, I'd be, I'd be shocked if there wasn't a good, uh, heavy deal of, of, um, black marking on the warrant affidavit and even on the receipt, the warrant receipt. But you'll see something. And Merrick Garland actually said, which I thought was interesting, you know, because, he was talking about how, you know, limited in scope they're going to speak about this case because he says we only speak through our court filings and through our investigations. He said that um, they're going to, you're going to find out in the coming days. You're going to find out in the coming days more about this case or uh, not in the coming days and an appropriate place at an appropriate time, right? Something or in an appropriate manner at appropriate time. So... I mean, this could be again. I, I've I've said this before. I mean, a couple of things. First of all, I think they probably like. I don't think it's a junk warrant, right? Like, I think they probably have. It's not a junk warrant, right? Because the federal government has. I mean, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of their conviction rates and all of that, uh, move at a very efficient rate. Um, they have, unlike a lot of you know district attorney's offices or um, or municipal police, they have a significant amount uh, more of resources. So they have all the time, unlike unlike district attorney's offices and, and local law enforcement agencies, federal government basically has, especially with a matter like this, you know, a lot of time and an incredible amount of resources. So I would find it hard to believe that this warrant, which like most, I, I, I doubt most, most legal experts are going to look at this warrant again. We haven't seen it yet and we probably will are going to look at this warrant and say it's a junk warrant, right? Because they're federal agents. They know exactly, you know, they, they know exactly, they, it, they know what makes a warrant, uh, a warrant affidavit junk and what makes it good, right? They know what makes these things, these searches legally permissible and what makes them a violation of your, you know, fourth and fifth amendment rights, right? They know all of that. So they're careful to not violate those because they have an investigation to do, right? And they, they, they have a case to build. Now, Merrick Garland said, which I thought was interesting. We, you know, we, we exhaust all of the resources possible 
before we go into a search warrant. I believe that's true in this case. Do I believe it's true in other uh, in other cases? No, but I do believe in this particular case they had exhausted those re- they had exhausted all all available resources. There was a subpoena. We know that there was a subpoena for those documents which they're trying to prove that means Trump was cooperative, but I think it proves the opposite. If they're issuing subpoenas and those subpoenas aren't followed, then they don't have really have much of a choice. Now we know that Trump has hosted uh, the agents uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Um, his lawyers have hosted the agents at Mar-a-Lago. They've inspected, uh, they've inspected uh, areas of his estate at Mar-a-Lago. They've asked him to, you know, lock up the. Um, you know, they, I think they've asked him to take security precautions on the documents they he did have there. But uh, and there was also they were also looked at surveillance footage in Mar-a-Lago, maybe to create some t- some type of nexus, right? To see. Maybe they did see that you could have seen someone with documents in there. I don't know how you'd be able to determine that they're, you know, the documents that you want. But they looked at security footage to see uh, if there was some kind of nexus. There was at least at least at a, in a limited scope op- uh, cooperation from the from former President Trump and his, his legal team. But what they felt was like it wasn't enough. And what they're saying is what they're saying is these documents are of high priority. They're of high priority. Uh, they're such a threat to national security, is what they're saying, is that they that, that they need it. So I don't know, like what exact I. You'd hope that even if you can't get like exactly what they are, because if they are that that sensitive, you're not going to know. You're probably not going to know exactly what's in the documents. You would hope that. You would hope that we could at least get the gist of what it is. Right. As far as like this being a ploy to uh, dash his election hopes, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think given how politically explosive this is and given how the FBI, I think as of recently, in part because of President Trump, but I think as of recently, given how as the FBI as of recently from both sides of the aisle has been under intense scrutiny for, you know, bad things that they've done, right? Think about the church commission, right? Uh, the, the Trump, uh, you know, people on the left will bring up like the church commission and Pro and... Um, you know, a lot of people, the, the, their treatment of Martin Luther King and a lot of people believe that they, you know, the FBI had a part in Martin Luther King's assassination. Um, you know, the sabotaging, um, the civil rights movement, J. Edgar Hoover's, you know, sabotaging the civil rights movement, a lot of stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff, right? And they've been under further scrutiny, for um and you know we know that there's you know the FBI crime lab and all of that that they've that they've done some good work but uh you know they keep they keep criminal justice statistics and all of that but there's been some bad stuff that they've done right and they've admitted that they've openly admitted that right so uh they've become under, under further scrutiny from the Trump administration after the Russia gate stuff so um this hasn't i don't think affected their funding in any appreciable way right uh, I think the you know members of Congress on both sides of the aisle are more than happy to fund the DOJ, right, and, and intelligence agencies and the FBI and the DOD and all of that. 
the, uh, you know, the call it the more, you know, lethal uh, operations of our of our federal government. But it's still it's still they're now under (laughs) this puts them in a tough spot. Right. This puts them under a lot of heat and it makes Trump. I mean, Trump's supporters are always going to be more emboldened by whatever happens. The news to to Donald Trump. We, you know, we know that, you know, he's got a loyal group of supporters. But does this does this embolden him? Does this play to his narrative to voters that could be convinced either way? Right. Does this play to his narrative that he is a candidate that is. Um, embattled with the special interests of the, you know, the, 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 you know, wickedly corrupt U.S. government. And I think if they don't get anything out of this, then it does. I think it does effectively. And I think it does allow him to present himself more effectively to voters that can be convinced either way. So... I don't know, given all the scrutiny they've been under with Russiagate and all that other stuff, given how politically explosive this is, I don't necessarily think the FBI is interested in getting into something like this unless they felt, unless the DOJ felt it was absolutely necessary. As far as, again, because as far as like, oh, they don't want him to run, well... As I've explained before, I think it actually helps them if they can't find anything substantial. And even if they're like, oh, you want to they want to get him a conviction so he can't run or something like that. First of all, the law's not clear on whether or not a criminal conviction is we don't even know if he's going to get charged. Right. But the law's not clear on whether or not a criminal uh, conviction is even uh, makes somebody ineligible for for a federal office. In fact, in fact, there's Supreme Court precedent to the contrary. Um, the 1969 case, they couldn't. They tried not to sit a member of Congress, and they basically said, "No, this person is at least 25 years of age. She's a resident of the United States, and whatever other. I think there's one other. There's one other. Uh, only you know, maybe one won an election or whatever. He was elected to the seat. There was like three, three set, three, three um, requirements that he satisfied. So they, you know, they let him sit. So there's. More evidence that even if he were to be convicted somehow, that he would still remain in office. And even still, if this were to go to a criminal proceeding, then it would take even it would take a long time. It would take a long time for for um, for this to even get to the point where there is a trial probably would go beyond the 2024 election. Five zero eight nine nine six oh five hundred. We got a few calls. Let's go. Well, let's get to them. Good evening. Oh, uh, sorry. Hello. Hi, Marcus. Hey, Chuck. What's up? Okay. Well, I'm going to challenge you on something. Okay. Russia Gate. It wasn't Russia Gate. What was it? It was an investigation that did not exonerate Trump at all. And I could spend a half an hour, and I won't, unless you want me to, explaining why it wasn't a hoax. The problem was two problems. Trump and his cabal were very effective at burying it. 
Well, the fact of the matter is, whether or not you think Russiagate's real or whether or not you think the investigation to Donald Trump's ties to Russia, rather, is real or not, or if it was founded in anything substantial, it didn't resonate with people. I don't think it resonated with a significant population of Americans. Well, so that's a legal basis. If it resonates, it's legal. If it doesn't, reg- you know what I mean. Yeah, I get you. You know, so we become a joke country. Yeah, that's true. You know, in matter of fact, there is evidence in the Mueller report. I've said this before. I know it gets no traction. Mm-hmm. Trump was brilliant. His cabal was brilliant. I've heard it said that Mueller was a Boy Scout dealing with vipers. Yeah. He, he quietly did his thing. Well, every day Trump was waving his hands and saying, witch hunt, hoax. This is going on forever. This is going on forever. Yeah. And the. Trump swamp ate it up. Yeah. Because he's their God. The Lord God Trump. Yeah, but God's that's... chosen one. Well, that's the point, though. That's the point I, uh, I'm making, is that he's that that put the FBI under scrutiny from both sides of the aisle. It's like the bad things that they definitely did and the bad things a lot of people thought they did, right? So it, it's it's they're under... I, you know, if they if they botch this, I think it could be um, pretty consequential for for them. I even if they don't botch it, it means nothing. Yeah. You know, Trump knows how to play this and he's got a base that will flip on a dime. So all of a sudden Trump's yelling and they're not releasing and they're not talking. And this swamp, Marco Rubio and all this is saying, let's defund the FBI and all the white supremacist morons. What is a Trump rally? And I mean it. The largest gathering of white morons since Hitler rallies. <laughs> and I don't care if somebody likes it. I don't care what they think. They're going to destroy this country. Chuck, I got to get to these calls. I appreciate the. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Well, again, whether or not you think the Russia, it's you know, some people whether or not it didn't resonate with people, and it only made the right mad at mad at the FBI. That's 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 the point I was trying to make. Let's get back to the phones. Good evening. How you doing? Good. My whole thing, what's going on in this country, is a double standard. That's very blatant, basically. And you know, other people have done things like this. And what happens? Very little. And I know everybody's tired of hearing about Hunter, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing that's getting no play. FBI has had all the information they could have done whatever they want, but they just they're sitting on it. So I I, I know you're going to say something positive about it. So, but it's okay. But I understand that because that's how um, you're probably well, well, a Democrat well, and I'm a Republican. But I think what to have a fear. If Trump did something wrong, go after him and do the right thing. Yeah. You know, Hillary Clinton did something wrong, they get swept under the rug. Well, they did investigate her. And in fact, James Comey wrote that oh, letter, right? That that um, that bombed her he campaign. He wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, he wasn't going to do that. Letter he bombed her campaign. Like that. that letter bombed no, her campaign. No, she she bombed her campaign. Oh, I mean, she bombed her campaign, too. Uh, she bombed her she campaign, too, but she might have barely bad. won. I think oh, that letter. I think that letter damned her quite a bit. You know, it's a double standard. You know what it is. I know what it is. Some people admit it. Some more. I, I understand. That's the time that we live in. But yeah. all you have to make up is your own mind. You look at look at the facts of all the things that come out, and you know it's it's really a double standard. And people, that's what they're tired of. If Trump did something wrong, 
go after him, do the right thing. You know, I'm hearing that Obama took papers home, so did Bush. I mean, he's a Republican. He took papers home because that's what they do, and nobody went after him. If these papers are so important, why after a year and a half are we going out after the papers? No, I hear you. It's so important. Yeah, I think that what their their argument's going to be is that they exhausted all the other uh, all the other um, yeah. means to get the uh, to get the documents, and that was the last one they had. Yeah. I'll go with that, but that's all they really have. But I mean, to, they go they went after some other, some other Trump people. I mean, frogmen coming from the back of a house to a seventy year old man in the middle of the night. We're talking guns. about Roger Stone. Yeah. What yeah. Is, what is that? Right. We don't we don't do that for hardened criminals. Uh, I'm going to disagree so with you we there. Don't. No, we don't. I'm going to disagree the, with you there. I work in the system. I work in the system, so I know what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. So so, but uh, it just it's a double standard. If the man's wrong, he's wrong. Go ask him. Do what you have to do. But do it for everybody across the board fairly. Hey, man, thanks for the call. i got to take this break. I appreciate it. 508-996-0500. Going to take this break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live. In the line, um, uh, I see a few people on the line. Uh, call back in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, i got to take this other commercial break, and then we'll probably only have a minute left until the news kicks in. So call back in the 8 o'clock hour. We will take your calls then. Why should you download the... Guys, uh, again, I see some of you still on hold. 